Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning we have two scripture lessons, and so I invite you to turn your attention to God's Word. If you have your own Bible, you can first turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 first, and then we'll turn over to today's gospel lesson. But hear now these words. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Our second reading comes to us from the Luke uh, Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 3. I invite you to join with me as we read verses 15 through 17 and then verses 21 through 22. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether or not he might be the Messiah, John answered them, all of them, by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved with you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, indeed, let us pray. Holy God, as we are a people filled with expectation, reveal to us the fullness of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you called and claimed as beloved. Help us to witness Jesus' baptism as an invitation to our own, to experience it or to remember it, to be called and claimed as beloved ourselves. Amen. Good morning. I am Pastor Corey, and today we are continuing our ser sermon series 
all things new. Last Sunday, Pastor Adam invited us to try something new this year, and he challenged us to be surprised at how God might reveal God's self and God's presence, God's purpose in that new thing. We looked at the Gospel of John and discovered how God did a new thing in Jesus Christ by humbling God's self and becoming human. The Word made flesh, so that we might know God's love in a new way, in Jesus Christ. But this week, we continue that journey with God as God does another new thing. Today in Luke's Gospel, and actually this story is in all four of the Gospels, we read of Jesus' baptism, the moment when God announces, You, Jesus, are my Son, the Beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. This is the moment when the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and something new begins. Jesus' identity is established by God's very voice, you are my son. And many biblical scholars argue that this is the moment when Jesus' earthly ministry officially begins. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit to begin something new. Baptism marks a new beginning, and we ourselves experience baptism because Jesus sets the example for us and commissions us at the end of Matthew's gospel to go and make disciples, baptizing them, baptizing all the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have numerous examples in the book of Acts of crowds, of individuals, and of entire households being baptized of people like us hearing God's word and experiencing God's grace and entering the waters of baptism. Now, in my experience, we don't talk about what baptism means as a church often outside of actually experiencing one. Baptism is one of two sacraments or sacred acts that we acknowledge within the United Methodist Church, the other one being, I'll let you answer, Communion. (laughs) You said there wouldn't be a test, but. uh, So the other is communion. And since we at Orange participate in communion at least once a month, there's just simply more opportunity for us to integrate an understanding of what communion is and allow it to penetrate our worship and our lives. But we don't talk about baptism as much. And because of that, we may not know or have a strong understanding of baptism and its significance. You may remember your baptism because you chose to be baptized. You may not remember your baptism because you were an infant or a toddler and someone made that decision on your behalf. Or you may never have been baptized. In my experience, when and how we are baptized is not what's most important about our baptism. The most important aspect of our baptism is how it shapes the way we live. The most important aspect of Jesus' baptism is how it shapes the way we live. In Jesus' baptism, Jesus enters the water, and the custom of entering the water for Jesus as a Jewish man was a common and yet sacred practice. And as Jesus enters those waters, he begins to pray. And as he prays, the heavens open, and God speaks, saying, You are my 
son, the beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. In Jesus' baptism, Jesus is identified as God's son, as beloved. Baptism, baptism is about identity. In Jesus' baptism, God tells Jesus who he is. And in our baptism, God tells us who we are in Jesus. We're loved. We are beloved because God has claimed us as such. We're reminded of this in Isaiah, as Pastor Adam read. It's one of my favorite passages. Isaiah 43, I have called you by name. You are mine, for I am the Lord your God. Because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. You are mine. I love you. Baptism is about identity. Baptism is God telling us who we are because of who Jesus is. Now, some of these words may sound familiar because I lingered on this theme a little bit on Christmas Eve, but I'm going to linger on it today. We are beloved. And being claimed as such, that identity calls and empowers us to live out that belovedness, to live in such a way that others might know that they too are beloved. If we were to wake up every morning, every new day, and as we wash our face or we step into the shower, if we were to allow that ordinary water pouring over us to remind us of our baptism, to remind us of the baptismal vows that we took or that were taken on our behalves, those vows that claim Jesus as our Savior and declare that we will freely choose to resist evil in this world, to repent of our sin and to help others know the forgiveness and new life we've discovered in Christ. If we allowed that ordinary water to remind us of that sacred truth, if every day as we begin the day, we looked in the mirror and as the great reformer Martin Luther did, say to ourselves, you are baptized. That's who you are. You are baptized. How might that, how might our baptism shape the way we live? One of my favorite authors, Reverend Tish Warren, writes about baptism in her book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And I've led a few studies on this book, but I highly recommend it, especially at the beginning of the year. And she writes eloquently of the parallels between baptism and waking up. And in her reflection, she writes that in baptism, we discover this, that Jesus is eternally beloved by the Father. And his every activity unfurls from his identity as the beloved. He loved others. He heals. He preaches. He teaches. He rebukes. And he redeems not in order to gain the Father's approval, but out of his rooted certainty in the Father's love. But out of his rooted certainty in the Father's love. Jesus' actions flow out of his identity, out of his belovedness. Our actions should flow out of our identity in Jesus. And Jesus, he can't forget who he is or else he might lose vision. He might lose sight of the mission that he's been given, the mission God has given to him. But after Jesus' baptism, immediately 
he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. And he's tempted in so many ways to forget that identity, to forget who he is and to believe that rather than being beloved, he is or could be something else. He's tempted by power and riches. And even as he's able to resist those temptations throughout his ministry, the world constantly tries to tell him who he is, that he breaks the law, that he eats with the wrong people, that he blasphemes or he speaks offensively about who God is. And Jesus constantly has to return, constantly has to remember his baptism. He has to return to this identity and tend to it in order to live out that mission. And the mission comes right after his time in the wilderness. He speaks it in Luke 4 when he proclaims, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for those imprisoned and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is able to return to his identity as God's beloved, to be rooted in that identity again and again by being in constant relationship with God. And Jesus' own baptism and life model for us the way that baptism should shape our lives and our mission. We're given the identity as God's beloved, and we're called to live out that identity with all of our being in whatever our mission field might be, wherever God has called us. Maybe it's as a spouse, a parent, a child, an employee, a volunteer, a caretaker. Wherever those roles are lived out, that is our mission field. And God has given us a vision to fulfill there. And what would it mean for us to remember in those spaces, I'm baptized, I'm beloved? Because the world is constantly trying to distract us from that identity by giving us other names. And maybe those names are your temptations or our sins. The way the world seeks to label us, all of us, it draws us away from our identity in Christ. And those, those labels can cloud our vision and dim our hearing so that we allow the world to tell us who we are. And the more we do that, the harder it may become to hear God's voice declaring and reminding us of who we really are. And we can begin to forget, and we even can begin to believe that we are who this world says we are. And we may lose sight of the vision and mission God has given us. We may forget that we are indeed beloved. But there's another important aspect of baptism that is meant to ensure we never forget who we are. So that we never forget our true identity in Christ. Baptisms are not meant to happen in a vacuum. They should happen in the presence of the community. They should be witnessed. Others stood along the shore when Jesus was baptized. And this is really important because when we baptize one in our community, we witness that new beginning. And we affirm that identity as God's beloved. And we ourselves, we renew our own baptism. And we also make vows to that one, to the one being baptized, that we are going to nurture 
and support that person, but ultimately that we're going to remind one another that we are beloved by God, especially when we forget. I don't know how many times I have forgotten who I am in Jesus Christ, that I have begun to question my own belovedness. Maybe you have because of something we've done or because of something we've left undone or because something someone has begun to believe about us and we in turn have begun to believe about ourselves. And let me tell you, I am so grateful for the people around me, for those fellow disciples who remember, are bold enough to remember not only who they are as God's beloved children, but who remember that they took a vow and have a responsibility to remind me who I am. To remind me that I am God's beloved when I cannot remind or remember myself. And when they remind me of that identity, I remember my baptism. And each and every time I remember my baptism, I am invited to begin again to receive God's grace anew, and my mission is renewed. That mission to love others and to remind them of their belovedness. I wonder if we could remember our baptism this morning, but also as a practice. As we wash our hands or our face or our whole selves, could we be reminded by that ordinary water that through the power, the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit, that we are God's beloved? Could we be bolder in reminding those around us when they begin to question who they are because of what they've done or experienced? Could we be so bold as to say, I know this feels true right now, but I have been called to remind you as your sister or as your brother in Christ that before anything else in this world, you are God's beloved child. Don't forget it. What would it mean for us to let our actions flow out of that identity, that belovedness, before any other label or identity we might have? Perhaps today you could find some water and make the sign of the cross on your forehead or maybe light a candle to represent the fire of the Holy Spirit. And remember your baptism. Remember your belovedness and believe that in Christ there is always a new beginning. My almost four-month-old, who you've probably heard a few times this morning, was baptized in November by Pastor Adam. And when we baptized you in, more words from Tish Warren's book echoed in my mind. She reflects on her own infant daughter's baptism, and she writes, before they cognitively understand the story of Christ, before they can affirm a creed, before they can sit up or use the bathroom or contribute significantly to the work of the church, grace is spoken over them and they're accepted as part of us. They are accounted as God's people before they have anything to show for themselves. We are counted as God's beloved before we have anything to show for it. That's grace. And that is an invitation to something new. I'll leave you with these words that my father-in-law, Larry, who's also a pastor, read at Ewan's baptism. It's a blessing by Jan Richardson entitled, Beloved. I'll invite you to close your eyes and receive these words this morning as our closing prayer.
Let us pray. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are, beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That is what this journey is for. I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path, there will be help. I can tell you that on this way, there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this. That fly to meet us, daring comfort and strength that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistent insistence whisper our name. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.